This is Growth Masters. The show for CEOs, CMOs, and anyone wanting to keep up with what's new in the world of business, marketing, and tech. You're in conversation with Robert Tadros. Hello and welcome to Growth Masters. I'm your host, Robert Tadros. I'm super excited about our guest today. It is the one and only Erica Geritz. Erica, I am so sorry if I've mispronounced your last name, but hopefully I've got it right. Uh, guys, Erica is well known for co-founding and co-directing the content marketing agency Willow & Bake, and even more famous for co-founding the international beauty brand Frank Body. Lots of experience in the growth space, and since 2016, Erica has been working on her new venture in beauty, Fluff, which is a new favorite brand so far and is rapidly growing worldwide. Erica, welcome to the show. So Erica, I'd love to start at the start, right? So talk me through your journey because you've done a lot. How long right? do we have? <laughs> We've got as long as we need to, right? I'll, I'll wipe up the rest of my afternoon. Because I know like, yeah, you've got Willow and Blake, the, the famous Frank Body and, you know, and I won't, you know, steal your thunder for the rest of it, but let's, <laughs> let's start at the beginning, right? And just talk me through the journey. How did you even get, in, get into it in the first place? Well, I mean, life just happens really and I, my background's in writing. I studied journalism. I never ever thought I'd be in the beauty industry or in e-commerce or in digital marketing and I still struggle to, I guess, articulate or tell people what it is that I do, especially now as sort of the founder of a small business uh, I mostly pay invoices and write emails. So, you know, it's really difficult to be like, oh, I'm in the beauty industry or I have a beauty brand. And especially after what I've sort of been through in the last eight years, it's been a real roller coaster and I've done so many different things and the mm. industry has really changed. Mm. So having those conversations, yeah, it is like, where do we start? Yeah, absolutely. So you started Willow and Blake first? Yes. I mean, that was off the back of... Yeah, my journalism degree made me realise I didn't want to be a journalist, but I realised I was quite good at writing and that my writing style really lent itself to digital and to social media. So I did work in a marketing agency for a very short stint. And it was cassette, right? Yes, which is just like She's around the corner. The yeah. yeah. And that was amazing and I learned a lot from the managing director just in terms of running a business. I was also doing account management in addition to copywriting and social media. So I just sort of had this broad view, I think, of what it takes to run a business and to manage a team and to work with clients but then to really try and understand customers and, you know, we were representing services but we were also working with product businesses mm. and I... They often say that it, you, you should really try and find your niche or specialise in one kind of industry or category for writing. But I always loved applying myself to all industries and I, I still find that today. Even with my brand fluff now, I love looking at really irrelevant or really sort of strange industries to get inspiration for what we're doing. I'll come back to the <clears throat> to fluff because it's yeah I'm actually really keen to hear how you, <laughs> how you even landed there um so co-founder of Willow and Blake and Frank Body and I'm pretty sure for memory you guys are running the two uh in sync at the much, same right? time yeah. yeah so two businesses at the same time talk to me about that because I'm trying to run one at the moment and I'm about to pull my hair out so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll never do that again um you know, Willow and Blake started after I left the marketing agency because we really felt there was a niche in the design 
I guess, or advertising industry. There was no one specifically doing written content. And this was in 2011. So it was before businesses had really started using social media to their advantage. And we were just writing website copy. We were writing flyers and brochures. And then all of a sudden people had Facebook pages and people had Instagram pages and we just naturally thought, let's let's do this. You know, Jess and Bree, my co-founders of Willow and Blake, we were 20-something-year-old girls who our style lent itself to beauty and to fashion and to lifestyle clients. So we really quickly made a name for ourselves there and in terms of tone of voice development, which mm. also wasn't a thing back then. Everyone was just writing online. No one was really thinking about how they were writing online. So that was probably our... Nisha Will and Blake was this tone of voice development and then applying that to social media and that really led to Frank Body because we were doing it for all other clients and we wanted to make that money for ourselves. So that's when Frank was born. It was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'll never forget, even till this day, you know, we'll get clients that will say, do you have any skill sets internally or do you know anyone that can write like Frank Body? You know, Frank Body was like, you know, that was the hero brand that everyone was trying to essentially copy. Still, like eight years on, I still get people asking me about it and asking if I can help them with their with their brand and they still reference Frank. It's insane. You've made Frank come to life, right? Mm. <laughs> I think, it, you know, it was a time where any beauty brands were very stale or very corporate and very commercial and no one was sort of peeling back that, that business corporate layer. No one was speaking to customers how they really wanted to be yeah. spoken to because it was so risky but Jesper and I I mean we had nothing to lose we were like this is how we want to be spoken to like let's just give it a shot we really had that I think gut feeling and we paid off yeah absolutely so so you've got uh so Frank Frank body's born right and you Mm -hmm. find yourself running an e-com business talk (laughs) me through that journey right I've been there and I know a lot of our listeners have too right and it's not it's not as easy as everyone thinks Uh, it is right there's so Um, many moving parts it's not as easy but looking back it was so easy at Frank I mean this was before the algorithm on social media this was before there was a million competitor brands we just had the whole stage essentially and the five of us including Alex and Steve worked really hard to get that brand off the ground and that business off the ground and we learned everything ourselves like again it was we had no experience. Startup was, you know, it was a sort of weird thing for people to talk about. Now everybody has a startup. Now it's the trending, you know, I've yeah. got a startup. I've got many startups. You're almost odd if you don't have one. <laughs> so is it true that at the same time you were also running a cafe? You're a co-owner Foolishly, of a cafe. yes. <laughs> so now this is the third business you're running. Yes, and then I wrote a children's book. That was actually the <laughs> nicest part of that time period. Nice. Much involvement with the, with the cafe? Not from a um, sort of day-to-day perspective. I did a couple of shifts in the beginning, which was fun. Um, It was more in the sort of design, the brand, the marketing. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, And let's let's shift gears, right? For the last three years, you've been uh, running the fluff. Yes. Tell me about the fluff. Yeah. I'm interested to know about the fluff. My obsession has always just been around customers and, I guess, people and just understanding how they work, why they think the way they think, why they talk the way they talk, why they share the things they share, why they buy the things they buy. I'm obsessed with that and mm. I just want to understand people and what drives them. And that's just deepened like as the years Psychology, have gone right? on. Like, yeah, yeah, it really is. And so fluff for me is just, I guess it's been this natural progression and after being in 
the marketing kind of industry for a while and then in the startup world and spending a lot of time in the US and then in the beauty industry, I really had this growing sort of frustration or discontentment with the way that beauty brands were speaking to particularly women and younger girls. Mm. At the time, this was in maybe 2015, we had Glossier in America, which was a huge brand taking the world by storm. But Australia really didn't have any specific like makeup, colour, cosmetic brands. You had a lot of the brands that were in Priceline or Chemist Warehouse like Maybelline or Revlon, but there was no sort of Australian equivalent in cosmetics of, say, Frank Body as we were in skincare. And my sort of combined like distrust with the industry or discontentment, the fact that there was five of us at Frank Body, which is too many cooks in the kitchen in my opinion. Um, you know, I had this opportunity to leave and decided to do that and then to essentially throw all my eggs into the fluff basket and just give it another go. Was it a smooth exit? <laughs> I don't know if exits are ever smooth, to be yeah. honest. And, you know, we were a bunch of twenty early to late 20-year-olds who had a lot of money and a lot of ego after a very successful couple of years. So it was a really big learning experience. And I think what the guides have done with the brand, you know, since then is great. Like they've, they've been able to grow it and to stabilise it, yeah. which is amazing um, amongst all the competition. Mm. So kudos to them for being able to do that. And then for me, it's been able to focus on something that I really love, which yep. is, you know, it's a very different sort of strategy or our approach, but it's really rewarding and fulfilling for me. So how do you, I guess, how have you been able to differentiate the brand, right? Because there's a lot of noise out there in that space, right? A mm. lot and a lot of noise, right? So what's been, and I know, I mean, the, the name in itself, right? Like even just jumping on the side, it is very different, <laughs> right? Uh, to your traditional sort of, you know, e-commerce website. Yes. Um, has that been intentional? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think I've always tried to do things differently. In I'm quite stubborn and I don't like things being the same. I don't like having the same stuff as people. It's just Everyone some weird left, trait of mine. Right. Yes, very <laughs> much so. Um, and I... I, when we started, we had this sentiment that we're like, the world doesn't need more makeup. And I still really believe that. But I believe that the world needed better makeup in terms of formulations and packaging, but really in particular around brand messaging. Mm. And so our whole tone of voice or the direction we wanted to take was to tell particularly women that it's okay to feel more with makeup so long as you don't feel less without it. Mm -hmm. Because there's decades and decades of these really kind of systematic sort of oppression from beauty brands and the industry and like telling people that they're worth more with the more products that they wear and consume and we we find consumers in this really bad cycle particularly in the last couple of years where they were just filling their shelves and they would have mm. 20 lipsticks and 10 cleansers and you know these products were all expiring before they would work through that and mm. We weren't, I think, paying attention to or realising the environmental impact or the mental impact that we were having. Yeah, they became marketing products. Yeah, and, yeah. and I was a part of that and I, you know, I had to really sort of look at myself in the mirror and it was quite a humbling experience to be like, I have led that conversation in a lot of ways. I have influenced a lot of people. Mm. But the more people that I spoke to, consumers and influencers alike and even founders, I realised that we all were sort of sharing this discontentment or, or feeling like we maybe were leading people down the wrong way. And it's not to say that making money is a bad thing and if you have a good idea for a product, like I'm the first person to tell people usually to quit their jobs and chase their dream. But I have really shifted, I think, my tone around the pace of which to do that and the intention of which to do it. 
And I think um, echoing all of that, it's also, you know, the, the intention. Is the intention to chase the dollars and to chase the money or is it to actually make a difference? Totally. And I think that is really the whole hustle culture that permeates our industry and um, drives a lot of founders and entrepreneurs. And it's something that I feel really frustrated by at times and I have to kind of pull myself away from that and not participate in some of those conversations or some of those content feeds because it makes me really frustrated and angry. Well, it's a perfect segue because I was about to ask you, <laughs> Now, what are your thoughts on the current this like hustle culture, like in the, especially in the entrepreneurial world, right? Like, I mean, it drives me mad. Yes, right? I mean, look, in two thousand and eleven, I think the reason Jess and I really were leading starting Willow and Blake was because we read the Four Hour Workweek and we mm-hmm. were like, yes, thank you, this Tim. This is what we want. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> But I mean, Tim's like story and journey since then has been really interesting, even what he has sort of renounced or commented on and how his his feelings have changed. I I think there is this element definitely of of working hard and ambition and drive and grit that is so important when you are working for a business or running a business. But I think the the pace at which businesses are operating operating right now is totally unsustainable and I think we are just pursuing growth at at all costs and that's what really concerns me and worries me yeah it's like the cool thing right like unless you're doing 50 hour days and although it's you know a bit of an exaggeration <laughs> you know you, you're not you're not working hard enough yeah you know? exactly and I think we're chasing these you know just huge incremental growths on people's P&Ls or their EBITDAs and mm. it's probably maybe not the right thing to be thinking about or, you know, Fluff raised a lot of capital and I feel really fortunate that we have investors that have really bought into our vision more than anything. However, there are a lot of VC firms and and individual investors that I've met who really are expecting, you know, seven times their investment back within two to three years mm. and I, I really think that's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, the business world is definitely changing, right? And it's evolving uh, to the worst, I think. It's not even evolving to, to, to the better. Mm. Because there is this, like, stigma around all this, like, this hype around businesses and generating 10, 20 time multiples and, you know, especially e-com businesses, software businesses, right? They're getting crazy multiples off their revenue, right? It's insane mm. money. So yeah. investors are like, well, wh- where, do, where can I throw my money? I'll throw it here because I know that guy's going to work hard and he's going to work his ass off. And I know I'm almost guaranteed 10 times my, my, my investment. I know. Um, and you're right. I think it's not sustainable, mm. right? It, it has to crash eventually. Mm. Um, I think the biggest thing, like I speak to a lot of people who are starting up businesses or have ideas to start businesses. I can't help it. And again, I'm just drawn to these sort of conversations and I, I love creation and and starting new things especially if they're meaningful but one of the first things I say to people is you know it's no longer that you are able to sell your product to 10 people in the room it's there's 50 people trying to sell to those 10 people so you can't make you know money off all of those 10 people anymore you might make it off one and so that's where people don't think that way they just hear the stories of the successful businesses or the unicorns and they think I want that and we were just literally talking about this before we walked in, right? I mean, mm. um, another guest on the show, Mark Bartis, we were talking about the amount of market share that Amazon currently yes. has, right? And it's like 47% of the e-com world right now, meaning that every other retailer, online retailer, is competing is competing for the other 53. So you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of brands will go and throw money at buying customers, right? There's mm-hmm. AdWords, social, you know, whichever marketing channel that you, that you engage is, but there's only a few that actually engage in building a brand, 
Mm. Right? Because ultimately anyone can buy a customer, right? You can slap together a, a Shopify website, you know, drop shipping or whatever it may be. But it's a race to the bottom, mm -hmm. right? It becomes a price game. There is no differentiator. There's nothing really to you know, to, to differentiate you from a competitor because the yes. products are ultimately the same. The price a lot of the time is very much the same. You might be able to save a dollar here or there. So I think what you're doing with the fluff is very unique in that you are building a a brand around it or even, you know, what you guys did with, with, with Frank Body. Mm. Although competitors came into the market, Frank was always very different, Yeah. right? Um, so, so with that, are you seeing a lot of change, I guess, in the marketing world from when you used to, you know, run Frank to now mm. with fluff? Definitely. I think that because consumers, their eyeballs are just sort of stretched so thinly and they're looking at so many different brands, you you know, it, you have to be more than a product. You mm. really have to be this sort of like deep connection or mm. offering for them. And, and that's what we feel that consumers are really missing right now is they're mm. sort of we've gone through this like greedy stage where we've had everything and bought all the makeup and had the 20 cleansers and now we feel a little bit embarrassed or ashamed that we have so much product sitting mm. in our cabinet but we also don't know anything about those brands. We don't know who founded them. We don't know where the products are made. We don't know whether what they care about in terms mm. of politics or religion or social injustices and, and that's what's so different is you know, five years ago brands didn't have to have an opinion on any of these and now as we've seen last year in March and, and shortly after with Black Lives Matter, every brand needs to have an opinion and if you don't, you're called out and can potentially be cancelled for, for yeah. that. So that's been super interesting and it, I think it's made a lot of founders and business have, have to be quite vulnerable and, and think about what their opinions are but this is now a reason for people to purchase from you because you care about these things, because your values are aligned. Mm. And do you think it's starting to expose some of those brands that are in it for the wrong reasons? Definitely. I think people, you know, if, if I have two bronzing powders to choose from and one is founded by, you know, a, a young female in Melbourne who spent years travelling the world to find the right manufacturer and talks to young people about feeling better about themselves despite what the industry tells them around beauty standards as opposed to a big conglomerate mm. started by five men in a VC fund. <laughs> like who do you think you're going to buy your bronzer from? Yeah. And all this information is starting to become available and what we find is a younger generation too, like they are finding that information and they are spreading it and then with, you know, social media, it just this, this information is now – it's – accessible to millions yeah. of people overnight so you're finding the consumer behavior now is they're really buying into the person or the people behind the brand rather yes. than what the brand actually has to offer yes well we i mean to give you sort of a maybe a tangible example within this sort of the context of what we're talking is we really shifted our sort of marketing strategy or our advertising strategy in terms of how we were trying to position the brand to people who'd never heard of it before. Um, and because, you know, a business has to advertise themselves. We have to find new customers. And so we couldn't just be like, hey, new cleanser, hey, new lip balm because there's a million out there mm. we had to be like hey we are fluff this is what we care about this is what we stand for this is why we started i had to put my face across all of the ads <laughs> because you know people were just like who started right? yeah. this yeah and it, all these words are very cliche too and that's why i think i was very apprehensive at the start it's like oh everyone says they're genuine everyone says they're authentic when one brand starts putting their founder photos up everyone starts putting their founder photos up 
So that's where it's it's really hard and I think as a brand you also have to be able to back that up. You have to be there and the founder has to be accountable if they are called to be accountable by their consumers. Mm. Um, it's scary time. Like I, you know, I feel nervous sometimes broaching particular topics with our customers but I also know that it's just the landscape now. It's just what we have to do if we want to participate. And is that because of the sensitivity of the topics? Um, or the fact that it's on a public forum? I think it's both. Yeah. 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 I think my biggest concern or fear is that there's little room for nuance these days yeah. with consumers. They don't, you know, they, they hear one side of the story and they don't want to hear the other side. And people have little time for a, a dialogue. Yeah. Um, so that's what I always try to encourage if we ever receive feedback or if we're ever involved in these sort of constructive conversations. It's like, I'm here, I'm willing to have this conversation, but I need you to be able to have it back with me, like not just demand an answer and yeah, then yeah, not yeah. want to hear one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome. How, how big is the team? So we started three years ago and we had a team of five and then that is sort of scaled up and down depending on where we've been and especially <laughs> last year. Yeah. So our core team went from six to three last year, but then we also have my business partner and his agency, which is a branding agency. Oh, awesome. So we basically lean on them whenever we need them, like yeah. when we updated our whole website, when we're releasing new products. Um, but the core team is essentially three um, and we do a lot. Like I'm nice amazed at what we kind of cover and then we have some obviously contractors or agencies that we work with. So is that down to, I guess, the efficiencies and the processes that you have learnt over the years? Because I'm sure you would have learnt a hell of a lot at Willow and Blake and, and Frank. Yeah, you know, when I left Frank, I think between Frank and Willow, we had a team of between 30 and 35. Mm. And it was an amazing team. But at some point, I think you have to ask, like, how many people are we getting to try and screw in a light bulb? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> that's what the last couple of years in I'm business. I'm probably asking myself that question now. <laughs> yeah, you know, you have meetings about meetings and you send emails about emails so <laughs> I'm amazed at what we have achieved with a small team at Fluff I know where our gaps are in the business and yep. what our next hires would be but I definitely don't want to um, rush to make those I think even when we started with six it was too many yep. um, but I was really keen I had capital and I was like let's spend this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spend some money to make some money yeah and I guess what what's driving you at the moment right because you've done a hell of a lot right over the last few years and and now the fluff you know you're three years old I think mm -hmm. you mentioned going into four yes I think so yeah oh, man, it <laughs> feels like 20 years <laughs> um what's driving you I I guess in Erica and, and, and I guess what what does the future look like mm. I think that's a great question I have to ask myself that most days and it's what I ask anyone who's starting business as well for me it's still that connection with people like trying mm. to understand why they would buy from any brands and what they're getting from that exchange of money and product because it's like we know fluff like does things for people it's not just like they could wash their face with water like yeah. no one really needs makeup I, I really think it's this unnecessary thing that's why it's called fluff yeah um <laughs> but fluff you know the feedback that we're getting from customers it, it, it connects with them where no other brands have before it makes them understand themselves and it supports them on their journey of beauty and identity which most women men included all people go through this journey of figuring out who they are through the products that they mm. own through the clothes that they wear through the makeup that they purchase so for us to be able to provide i guess a supportive 
position or hand along that journey is probably what is really fulfilling for me for people to be like this brand has made me feel good about myself and like I want to be myself not like I want to be someone else yeah and do you, and do you find everyone that's like around you whether it's you know the, the team members they very much share the same purpose Definitely, they have to. We have had team members in the past who haven't and it, there, there's been a real sort of conflict there because fluff is going really against the grain of the rest of the industry in terms of our messaging, in terms of our pace, in terms of our product rollout and so it, it means that our growth is going to be slower yeah. and that's been really hard for me because I'm actually programmed <laughs> to go very, very fast and especially after Frank, you know, I, yeah. I am my worst enemy because I compare myself to myself and the position that my last businesses have been in so I do have to check in and remind myself that this is a lot more intentional and I'm trying to build something over the next 10 20 years as opposed to something that is only around for three to five years in a trend I think we can definitely share something there and <laughs> a lot of entrepreneurs that I speak to you know very much share that same challenge mm. right is that we run a million miles an hour and typically our teams or people around us will either catch up or you need to slow down mm. what I've found over the years that a lot of them don't, can't catch up Right, because yeah. they're just Rob. You you you, you just you sprint, yeah. <laughs> right? So um, it is a I guess a point of reflection where you, you sort of need to slow down and go. I can't leave everyone behind me, mm -hmm. right? So I need to slow down and just actually enjoy the moment. Yeah, right. It's like present moment awareness, mm -hmm. right? Like a lot of the times, I mean, personally, I forget what I've done for the day because I've just sprinted through it. Yeah, totally. And it's the same with business, right? Yeah. Like. And I think before you know it, your business is in a place and you don't know how it got there exactly. and you aren't necessarily happy with it. Yeah. And that was my personal experience at Frank Body, um, probably different to the other guys, but it wasn't where I wanted it to be and it was because we got so caught up or it moved so quickly and we didn't have those conversations in the beginning of what are we creating. And, you know, Frank is a very different story because we were just having fun. Mm. You know, it was just something to do on the side that we thought would make a little bit of cash and it turned into a business that is now seven, eight years old and yeah. still going. But had we have had those conversations in the beginning of like, what are we trying to build? Where do we all want to be? And because our personal lives, you know, they don't always run parallel to, I guess, the, the pace or the story of our business lives. And yeah. so we have to be prepared for that to, I guess, come into conflict at one point, especially if you have business partners. To try and expect them all to be on the same page over several years of growth is, is really unrealistic. Yeah, there's definitely, um, there's definitely some challenges there, right? Like, I mean, you could be friends on a personal level, but on a business level, you share different ambitions, different goals, different visions, purposes, and, and all the rest of it, right? And I, I find that that sometimes can cause a lot of misalignment. Totally. Uh, and a lot of conflict, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and as a business grows, you don't often know how you're going to react or how your business partner is going to react to different events or it situations changes people, right? as you and grow. It does. Yeah, yeah. Or money, I think, really exposes people on their values and, and their views on the world. So it's then you have to be like, cool, do we see the things the same way? Yeah. You know, and if something happens to your business partner's family or to, you know, in their life, how's that going to affect how they run their business? All mm. these things are stuff that we don't think about. And, you know, on one hand, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have to, but... Well, everyone gets excited at the start, right? Like, oh, yeah, great idea. Let's take and run exactly. with it, right? And then two, three, five, you know, however many years down the track, you start to really realise who you got yourself into bed with, mm -hmm. you know, good or bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's why I'm a big believer in, like, no business with friends or family. You mm. know, like, not, not because of anything other than that I don't want to hurt that relationship. Yeah. You know, so it's actually more of a protection than anything else. Yeah. 
Um, so, okay, so with that, so what would be your top pieces of like top tips or advice, <laughs> right? For anyone going through this journey, right? I always, I know there's probably tons, but like if you had to say there was like top three pieces of advice that you'd give someone going through this journey right now, what would they be? Don't do it to get rich. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it to get rich. Um, yeah, I think you need to have a reason for being other than making money right now. Yeah. Five, six years ago, maybe not, but it is a really hard True slog purpose. right now. So I think, you know, you need to um, have that sort of greater purpose or meaning for what you're doing. And just because, again, the world just really doesn't need much more stuff. Mm. If you have a really significant contribution to the world or new innovation, like, go for it. But if you're just creating another face mask, like, to, yeah. don't. <laughs> that it. would be my advice. Just <laughs> go work for a company and enjoy your nine-to-five and your consistent salary <laughs> and, and your holidays. Um, I think my other piece of advice and you know one of my investors gave me this advice just the other day was that you know your grit and your resilience is is really up to you and and no one else and I think business is really tough right now and so long as you're prepared to as my investor put it eat a shit sandwich and potentially for a long time then no one can take that away from you and you know that resilience and kind of resisting the urge to leave or to walk away when things get tough is super important for a startup because you're going to go through a lot of different waves of feelings and emotions and growth and declines and you know even when you're growing there is heaps of problems and heaps of stresses um you know we most i think startups when they reach that successful point often look back and wish that they were just, you know, on the floor still packing stuff before they had a team of, you know, 50 or something. And I think I would say like higher like your life depends on it. I I have spent a lot of time and energy on the wrong hires or or tried to rush that process. But I think your team is is really everything and to not feel pressure in taking time with those selections because the time and money it costs to undo a bad hire is just so much more significant. I definitely resonate with that last point. I mean, we're a people business, right? Yeah. For us, you know, it it costs us a lot of money if we make the bad hire. Yeah. A lot of, lot of money. And I, you know, I'll second that, you know, I can't stress how important it is to have the right people on the bus doing the right things. Mm, Totally. Um, Otherwise, it's like how many people, you said, like you said before, right, can change a light bulb. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the only other thing, like you mentioned, trying to create a different brand and if I'm going to give people advice on that, it's like just stop looking elsewhere. Like what do you actually want if you put Mm. blinkers on and don't compare yourself? What does that look like Mm. for you? Decide that you like something because you like something, not because it's on the Instagram explore page mm-hmm. or, you know, because every millennial brand is a pastel pink, you shouldn't be <laughs> one. And if you're just copying that brand, like, I don't know, just go work for that brand. Yeah. Again, it's going to be hard because you're going to be competing against them and they're already established. So if you are trying to do something different, really think about that word and what it means. And that's something that you've done extremely well with Fluff. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Erica, it's been an absolute pleasure. Honestly, thank you for jumping on the show. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing where you take Fluff. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> thank you.